Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is Session 11. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. In this session, we'll be reflecting a little bit more on the early part of Chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel. And then we'll also look at uh, uh, the teachings, the church's teachings on divorce and Jesus' teaching on uh, retaliation and love of enemies. Um, just reflecting on the first part of chapter 5, um, some of which we already covered, there was the difficult statement that uh, Jesus says, uh, you've heard it said that you shall not kill, but I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother will be liable for judgment. You know, he goes on to say, even if you call your brother an idiot, you know, you're subject for judgment for that. And um, so we talked a little bit last time about the need to examine our conscience. So I'm reminded of a time when um, I was guilty of killing someone. Uh, don't be alarmed. It wasn't a, a, a murder per se, but um, I had killed my daughter's spirit with, uh, with some things that I said. And um, so um, I went to confession about that, and the priest said, yes, in fact, uh, you, you kind of destroyed her spirit with the thing that you said. And he gave me the penance, which was to uh, have a special daddy-daughter day, which I happily complied with. But um, why am I telling you this? Because I think we have a tendency to gloss over those Ten Commandments when we're doing our examination of conscience. And we say, well, I haven't killed anybody this week, so you, you feel like you can check that box. But ask yourself, have you killed someone's uh, spirit with the words that, uh, that you have said? Um, so something to consider. Another thing that we talked about last week, or at least, at least mentioned, was uh, Jesus' teaching that we're supposed to be the salt and light of, of the world. And I want to expand on that a, a little bit. So how exactly do we become the salt and light of the world? We said last time that it is up to us to make a difference on the culture, to try to mold the culture that we live in, as opposed to being molded by the worldly culture that we're surrounded with. So it's, it's up to us to speak out on issues that are important to, uh, to the church. For example, immigration, for example, right to life issues. Um, and, uh, you know, recently in, in January, we had the, the uh, March for Life. And so it's important to participate in, in things of that nature. Um, so um, why is it that, at least in America, the edict has been for several generations, never talk to anybody about politics or religion. Well, I think one reason why people say that is because politics and religion are things that are close to people's hearts. So if you only want to have surface friendships, then I would say that that would probably be, uh, that, that, is the, that is the wisdom that the world gives us. Don't talk about politics and religion. But how will you affect someone for Christ if you don't talk about things of a religious nature? And much of what is in politics is, um, you know, has, re has religious consequences to it. And so I'm going to be sending you separately, uh, well, I'm going to be sending you two things. Um, along with this, there will be an attachment 
of a, an excellent examination of conscience where you can go deeply into that um, before you go to confession. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, pretty in-depth, really. The second thing I'm going to send you is uh, something that um, talks about, from a political nature um, uh, about the different issues that we must confront and how we as Catholics don't fit nicely into either uh, political party. And so, uh, but it is important for us to get those words out there. Again, we are to be the salt and light of the world. We are to affect the culture by our participation, by our voting, by our demonstrating, etc., and by our not being afraid to talk about, dare I say it, politics and religion. Okay, so um, that in with that in mind, let's turn to uh, chapter 5, uh, verse 31. Open your Bibles to that, unless you're uh, driving your car, of course. We'll talk about uh, Jesus' teaching on divorce. He says um, in verse 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a bill of divorce. But I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, unless the marriage is unlawful, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So what is an unlawful marriage? In Jesus' time, you had many converts to the faith who had married within their family. You know, married a sister or a cousin or something like that, which um, is problematic in, in terms of, uh, you know, the characteristics the off, that the offspring might have, etc. So that was clearly an unlawful marriage according to the laws back, the Levitical laws back in, in the Old Testament. But um, so what would we say today would be a, a marriage that is, um, you know, that is annullable, if you will. An, uh, an annulment means that the marriage never uh, really happened. So, uh, you know, think, of, think in terms of a marriage that just gets off on the wrong foot from day one for one of these types of reasons. Either A, um, the parties may not have had full consent that is to say their families insisted that they get married. Perhaps the young lady was pregnant or something. And so there, there wasn't a full consent of the will. Or B, perhaps the couple got married so young uh, or one of the parties was so immature that it just, um, it, it was wrong from, from the get-go. Um, so these would be examples of reasons for an annulment. Now, an annulment is not a Catholic divorce. An annulment instead says there was an impediment to a marriage right from the get-go. I'm certainly not a canon lawyer, so I would urge you if you have further questions in that regard to contact your priest, or if you want to go even further with that, he can probably hook you up with a canon lawyer who would explain that further. Suffice it to say, for my purposes today, that the Catholic Church is very, very serious about marriage. Marriage should not be entered into lightly nor disposed of easily. And I would say for all of the critics of the Catholic Church uh, out there who uh, make fun of the annulment process, um, know that the Catholic Church takes marriage much more ser seriously than any of the denominational churches. 
It is not easy to get an annulment. You need witnesses. It takes a considerable amount of time. Um, it is, it is a, a serious matter. So I'll say no more about that, except that um, you know, marriage is a covenant. It is a sacrament, and it is to be taken very, very seriously. Having said that, those who uh, may have uh, made, uh, you know, committed a sin, gone on, gotten a, a divorce, and then remarried, there's always the sacrament of reconciliation, and there, of course, is is God's mercy as well. Moving on, uh, let's talk about retaliation. Jesus says in verse 39, when someone strikes you on your right cheek, turn the other one to him as well. So are we supposed to be doormats? No. Um, underline that verse 39 and write in your margins hyperbole. Jesus says things like that. We saw examples of it last time as a way to get our attention and to cause us to, to ponder what, what he is saying. So turn the other cheek. No, we're not supposed to be a doormat, but there may be times when it is best to back off a little bit. There may be times when it is best not to seek the last word. And certainly there are all times when there is ugliness going on to us, when we don't want to escalate the situation by making it worse. Uh, the verse before that, Jesus said, uh, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That was the Old Testament's way of mitigating revenge. Because prior to that, you know, if you knocked out somebody's eye, they would, you know, seek retribution by killing you and your whole family and burning your house down. So it was a, it was a weak attempt in the Old Testament to try to make the punishment fit the crime. But Jesus is saying here, uh, turn the other cheek in the sense that don't feel like you always have to exercise your rights. Don't feel like you always have to have the last word. Sometimes it's best to just back off just a little bit and maybe even get out of that situation. Okay, but we're certainly not to be doormats. Next, we have Jesus teaching on uh, love of enemies. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your heavenly father. So do we really do that? Do we pray for people that we disagree with? Here in America in 2019, we have a lot of ugliness going on in our political um, in its scene. We have people on both sides of the aisle, both Democrats and Republicans, who are just filled with, in, with uh, you know, ill will towards those who think differently uh, than themselves. Uh, along that line, and even going back to the idea that we were just discussing about salt and light, um, we are to bring our case uh, before, the, the, before our culture. We are to uh, espouse Catholic views on uh, on the key topics that um, you know, such as immigration, abortion, etc., right to life issues. Um, but we are to do it in a kind manner, and we are to pray for those. It says here who disagree with us. By the way, 
neither the Republican Party nor the Democratic Party uh, is the party of the Catholic Church. And one of the handouts that I'm going to um, forward on to uh, Hillman, my producer, uh, will will show that. So take a look at that, and I think you will see that the issues are pretty evenly divided uh, amongst both parties. So, um, but nonetheless, for those who disagree with us, I think we need to practice disagreeing without being disagreeable. Okay, we, we uh, need to be able to maintain that relationship. And remember this, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. So raising your voice does nothing. Um, but uh, it's, it's equally uh, problematic if you don't let people know how you stand. I think I said last time, if being a Christian in this world were, um, were made illegal, would there and, and you were brought to trial for your Christianity, would there be enough evidence to uh, con convict you? So again, be salt and light, but also pray for those who have a different opinion. Not just pray that they come to your point of view, but uh, pray for their well-being. Pray for the Holy Spirit to guide them, etc. Et so, this whole idea of never talking about politics or religion, I think, is deeply, deeply flawed. That's how you get to know someone is talking about these issues that uh, are, are uh, key to most people's uh, person, if you will. Okay. Um, then he goes on and talks about um, um, if you if you love if you only love those who love you, this is from verse 46, what recompense do you have? Do not the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brothers only, what is unusual about that? Do not the pagans do the same? You know, even the biggest jerks in the world have friends, right? They may be jerks just like them, but they they uh, they have friends. So we're we're going to be different than the pagans. There are people in your life that are just not very lovable, and yet we are to love them anyway. Why? Because we are all children of God, and that makes us all brothers and sisters. We all play in the same sandbox, so to speak. And so um, it's essential that we love those who are even un unlovable. Here's a difficult statement, verse 48. So be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. So you might be thinking, okay, I'm going to close this Bible right now and never look at it again, because there's no way I can be perfect. Well, take heart. Jesus sets the bar high, doesn't he? Um, and none of us will reach that bar on our own. So we need Christ to help us become more Christ-like. Uh, we won't make that, okay? But happily, we have this great sacrament of reconciliation so that when we fail, we can go. We can do that examination of conscience, such as the if you'll take a look at the one that I'm sending you along in this lesson. We can do that examination of, con of conscious, conscious, conscience. We can uh, confess. And if our confession is sincere, we know the Lord will, will forgive us. And then the, the slate is wiped clean, if you will. Even after that, though, even after confession, you still may hold on to some fond memories of bad things you did in the past or some attitudes and whatnot. Uh, take heart, because there's also purgatory, where you will be cleansed 
of of all of those um, things that you held on to. Uh, that's part of the the human condition. We'll talk more about purgatory. We'll talk a lot about it when we get to First Corinthians. But uh, anyway, that is how you uh, are perfect. You you confess your sins and um, you ask for God's forgiveness. Well, that is about all of the time we have for today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, help us to do a thorough examination of conscience on regular intervals. And as you as you taught us in this chapter five, um, it's we it's not just a matter of keeping the externals, such as not physically murdering someone or not committing physical adultery, etc. You're interested in our hearts, in uh, our motives, uh, and so um, help give us the grace. To, to change our, our person, if you will, so that we're more aware of how we are affecting others and how, how we are perceiving others. We ask that grace. We also ask for the grace to help us to be salt and light to the world, to speak out on matters publicly even that um, are of, of moral concern to ourselves and the Catholic Church. Uh, let's not hide our hide our light under the bush, so to speak. So we ask for those graces as well. And help us to love those that are, shall we say, not so lovable. Help us to pray for those who we have differences with, our political leaders, etc. Um, this is very hard to do, and we, we can't do it without your, you know, without your grace. We ask these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So next week, we're going to pick up on chapter six, and we'll take a good look at the Lord's Prayer, and we'll answer the question, why do we need to pray when it tells us in chapter six that your Father knows what you need before you ask him? So we'll deal with that then. As always, I welcome you to email me your questions and comments at jhcatholicbible at gmail.com. So until next time, I look forward to your joining us again on Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. Mm -hmm.